You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. The three words that I want to, um, to put in front of you to ask you to think about. Three words, distance, denial, and repentance. Three words that could easily describe the season of anyone's life right now. Distance, denial, repentance. And the question is, is like which word describes you the most right now? Distance, denial, repentance. Which word characterizes or describes your heart, the condition of your soul, the place that you have been when you walked in the door this morning? Which one of those words describes you? Did you walk in feeling distant from the Lord? Like there was a great chasm in between you that maybe you feel that maybe even you erected or you built or you dug that trench. Maybe you walked in feeling that way. Maybe you feel like you are the one who turned your back on him. And maybe, maybe you feel like you've done that one too many times and there's no way that God could love you. Maybe that's the way you walked in feeling this morning. Ever wonder if God could get too fed up with you? Ever wonder if there's, if there's, if there's enough evidence of repentance or change in your life to hold you secure? Or to prove that you are secure? Given the fact that there's no amount of repentance or change, or turning from our sin that can actually save us. That, that's a backwards way of thinking about it. The reality is that if you are head, held in the hand of God, then the proof in the pudding that you are actually in the hand of God is the evidence of repentance in your life. It's the presence of actual change in you. It's the ability to look back and to say, that's who I once was. I was the one who denied Christ. I was the one who betrayed Him. I was the one who walked in deep, dark, utter sin, yet today I am a different person. That is the proof that you are actually held in the hand of God. Is there evidence of that in your life, evidence of repentance. Do you ever, you ever wonder that? Some of us just sleepwalk through life in such a way that we, um, we don't think about these things. And I think my hope and my prayer as I study the passage we're going to be in today is that, is that you would stop and press pause for a minute, that you would think about where you're at in your life. What, which one of these three words describes you? Distance? Are you distant from God? Denial. Are you actually living your life in such a way that you are denying Him in your, your thoughts, your words, and your actions? Your behavior? Are you denying Him? Does your life, does your life reek of the evidence, of the aroma of the gospel? When, when somebody gets around you, do they... Smell the gospel, so to speak. Can they see the gospel at work in you? Do they see Jesus at work in you? 
Or do they see a lack of repentance in you, thereby proving that you are an unbeliever and that your destination is destruction? Which is it for you? You can't sit on the fence between those two and think that you're going to be okay. The thing about Jesus is that Jesus is polarizing. When Jesus walks into the room and speaks, and when you catch a picture of who our Savior is as He hangs on that cross, then what He begs for us is quit straddling the fence to find one side or the other. Look at Luke 22, 54-62. Luke says this, Then they seized Him and led Him away, bringing Him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father, before I continue to comment on this passage before I continue to preach. I ask, Father, that your spirit would, would just come and hover in this place and that you would purify my heart and my soul and my words and my emotions as I preach. Lord God, I know that in these moments there, um, there is a very real opportunity and a very real threat. There's a very real opportunity for someone to hear the message of this sermon and the words of this sermon and the message of this text and to begin to follow you. And yet there's also a threat that some may be here or, or may hear this sermon or the words of this passage and that their hearts may continue to be hardened against you. I, I know that opportunity and that threat. I feel the weight of that this morning as we open this passage. I pray, God, that you would help me and help us as a church family to trust in you. It's your sovereign work of opening hearts. It's your sovereign work that changes lives. It's your sovereign work, Lord God, that takes us from being deniers of you to being acceptors of you. It's your work, Lord God, that closes that distance and that gap that we so often walk in. It's your miraculous work that causes repentance to be the fruit of our lives. 
So God, I I pray that you would help us to rest in that, to catch a great picture of you and your work as you sent Jesus to the cross. And even even your sovereignty in the midst of being betrayed by his closest friends, seeing the way in which he walked that out. God, I pray that you would use that to enlarge our picture of Jesus to the point that repentance becomes obvious, that the distance between us and you gets radically closed by the work of your Son at the cross, and that those of us that are, that are hearing this, that if we're living our lives sitting on the fence denying you, living halfway in the world and trying to live halfway in the gospel, God, I pray that you would rip that out of us and help us to love you with our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? So in this passage, what Luke is doing is he's describing Peter's threefold denial of Christ, right? He describes Peter's threefold denial of Christ immediately following his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane after Judas had betrayed him. And it's a stunning picture, really, if you give it some time. It's a stunning picture of the danger of following Christ at a distance. It's also a stunning picture of the progressive nature of denying Christ, kind of this progressive wheel, this natural process whereby we begin here denying Christ, we wind up way over here as we continue to deny Him. Also gives us a stunning picture of the evidence of godly repentance in someone's life. Every one of us will struggle through seasons of being distant from God. Every one of us will spend seasons wrestling with the temptation to deny Christ in one fashion or the other. Many of us will give in to those temptations. But the real issue at the end of the day for us is whether or not you and I actually come through the end of those seasons into a place of actual, authentic, godly repentance. There's a difference between worldly remorse. Oh, I'm sorry. That hurt. The consequences sucked. Right? There's a difference between that and understanding and realizing I have sinned against the God of the universe who gave himself for me. He's perfect and loving and gracious and merciful. Godly repentance flows out of that. Godly repentance flows out of understanding that God's eyes are always on you. He sees everything about you. When you sinned, He didn't turn His eyes away from you. He saw you completely in all of your goodness and all of your badness. And even in the midst of that, He loved you completely. He loved you completely. He loved you completely to the extent that He still spoke truth to you through the Word. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't run from that. It wasn't just that he spoke the truth 
Jesus embodied the truth as He walked towards the cross and He gave Himself as a sacrificial payment for you and I. This is what Jesus did. When you and I understand that this is who Jesus is, that He sees you, He notices you, and yet still loves you completely, that there's nothing that you could do to unearn His love or to earn His love. When you begin to catch that picture of who God is, then what flows out of that is godly repentance versus worldly sorrow of, oh, I'm sorry, that season sucked because I messed up. So the questions, the questions I think we need to ask as we examine this text is, is what does it look like for you to walk in godly repentance instead of worldly sorrow? What does that actually look like? It's nice to have the language, right? It's nice to understand some concepts, nice to, nice to have some phrases down. We learn some things in our minds, but, but what's, what does this really look like for us? And can you measure and assess and, and evaluate whether that is actually happening in your life? Can you see it? What does it look like for you to walk in godly repentance instead of worldly remorse? What does it look like for you to proclaim Christ? Actually proclaim Him with your life instead of denying Him. I mean, the interesting thing about Jesus, as I said earlier, is that Jesus was a polarizing figure. He called people to radical obedience. Listening to that message from Piper last night, he was expounding on what it means to chop off your hand or to gouge out your eye and to make war against yourself rather than making war against other people. Bold statements that Jesus makes that we often want to ignore because they make us uncomfortable. Right? I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus came to Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So if you walked in this morning feeling comfortable, or if you walked in this morning feeling afflicted, I think Jesus has a purpose and a plan for you this morning in this message. What does it look like for you to proclaim Christ instead of denying Him? What is, well, what, what is the danger of following Jesus at a distance instead of clinging to Him for everything? What really is the danger there? Let's talk about that first. Number one, the danger of following Jesus at a distance. Verses 54 through 55. I would make this statement. Following Jesus at a distance is dangerous because when we do this, we do it within a culture that is adamantly hostile to God. We do this within a world that is opposed to the things of God, opposed to the gospel, opposed to all that is good, opposed to all that is godly, actually opposed to Christ Himself. And if we're honest, <coughs> if we're honest, isn't this the struggle that we all struggle with daily? Our opposition to Christ Himself. Our war that we make against Jesus deep down inside. Our opposition against the things that Jesus has clearly said in His Word. Isn't that our issue deep down inside? 
wasn't any different in the text that we're studying. Luke tells us in verses 54 and 55 that after Jesus' enemies had seized him and led him away. Think about this. They had seized him and led him away. They seized him in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Judas, the betrayer, turned his heel against Jesus. This is where Judas, the betrayer, opposed Christ. This is where Judas, the betrayer, proved that he had it in for Jesus. He was not Jesus' friend. He was not Jesus' follower. He was actually Christ's enemy. And it became obvious in the garden when Judas walked into the garden after Jesus had been, been kneeling there praying and asking the Father, please remove this cup from me. And in his stress, in his great stress over what was coming, he, he sweats blood. This is the place that, that Jesus went to for you and for I. So that in our ignorance and in our opposition towards him, he could still love us. He could still walk to the cross for us. Ask yourself, would you continue walking to a cross for someone who had betrayed you? It's hard enough to do it for people that we love. It's hard enough to love people that we claim to love. Isn't it? Jesus' enemies had seized him and led him away. They brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And according to the other Gospels, you read the other Gospels, all of the disciples, all of them except for Peter and John, had deserted Jesus. These men that he had walked with for three years, day in and day out, moment by moment, minute by minute, the men that he had loved and warned and preached to and shepherded and loved with his entire being, all of them had left him. All of them except for Peter and John. And the reality about Peter is that Peter only followed at a distance. He wasn't clinging to Christ. He wasn't holding on to his arm. Jesus, take me with you. I promised you I was ready to go to the death with you. I promised you I was ready to go to prison with you. That's what I said and that's what I want to do. But no, I follow at a distance. This is what Peter did. Only followed at a distance, even though a few verses prior to this, Jesus had warned him, Hey, Peter, Satan's coming, and he's going to try to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. There's a stark difference between the prayer that Jesus prayed for Peter and the things that Jesus said about Judas. There's a huge difference. Peter belonged to Christ Judas did not. Peter only followed in the distance. And then Luke tells us that when Jesus' enemies had arrived at the high priest's house with Jesus in tow as their prized possession, we're saying earlier about belonging to Christ and Him belonging to us. The difference between Jesus' captors and what God calls us to is that those who had betrayed Christ and who had arrested Him had Him bound up as if 
their strength and their binding on him could hold him had he not surrendered and submitted himself to them. Think about the power that Christ had. Could have called down a legion of angels at any moment, but he chooses not to. And they walk into this courtyard with Jesus in tow, bound, probably gagged, thinking that they had somehow done some great thing. Think about all the great things you could do in this world. These men, and they, they thought they were like the cat's meow, right? They had their prized captive, Jesus, kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat down among them. See, Peter didn't keep, listen, Peter did not keep the same distance from the culture of hostility that surrounded him as he did from Jesus. Peter actually walked at a distance from Jesus while drawing close to the culture of hostility that was seeking to oppose Christ and kill Christ. This is what Peter did. One of the men that was in Jesus' closest circle, Peter, James, John, they were the three that were kind of in the inner circle. Let's not forget Let's not forget that Jesus had warned his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and actually all the way back at the Last Supper, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. He said it three times in one night and they fell asleep in the garden. And then began to deny Christ and run from Christ. Where is your heart this morning? Distant from Christ? Denying Christ? Or repenting and running to Christ for your salvation? Where is your heart this morning? Are you following Jesus at a distance? Distancing yourself from Jesus while drawing closer and closer the sin and the hostility and the culture around us? Are you straddling the fence of relationship with the world on one hand? Or are you clinging close to Jesus himself? When Jesus came and died upon that cross, he came and he died to break the power and the presence and the penalty of an unholy trinity that seeks to control you and lead you to destruction. And that unholy trinity is Satan, sin, and death. And at the resurrection, after his work at the cross, Jesus said, it's over. It's beaten. In fact, at the cross, he said, it is finished. His work of atoning and breaking the power over those things is done. Why would you still walk at a distance from Christ, lest you don't belong to Him? Following Jesus at a distance is dangerous, right? Because we do so within a culture that is adamantly and openly living in hostility towards Christ. As your commitment to giving your all to the cause of Christ lessened. If your answer to that question and others like it is yes, 
And you've got to ask yourself, what is it in this world that is hostile towards Christ? What is it in this hostile world that I am sitting down next to while living at a distance from Christ? Is it your pursuit of romance? Is it your pursuit of friendship? Is it your pursuit of more things? Is it your pursuit of status? What is it that you are pursuing out of the desires deep down within you that cause you to walk at a distance from Christ while drawing close to a culture that is adamantly hostile to the one who says he loves you completely even though he sees every imperfection that you have deep down inside? Following Jesus at a distance is dangerous. Because we do so in the midst of a culture that is adamantly hostile to God. Are you following Him at a distance? Better yet, are you following Him at all? Get off the fence. Get off the fence. Number two, look at the progressive nature of denying Christ, verses 56 through 60. The progression of sin that we struggle with when it, when it comes to denying Christ naturally moves us in three different places. We deny Christ personally. We deny Christ uh, communally. And then we wind up denying Christ missionally. When we begin to follow Jesus, we follow Him personally. I, Joe Marino, today literally say yes to Jesus personally. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. problem with our culture is we think it ends there. And the reason why is because we think it's all about us. We think we can walk that road alone. We begin to follow Christ personally. And that, that moves forward into the context of community, whereby we are discipled, led, shepherded, disciplined, corrected, encouraged, taught, matured as disciples. So that means to be matured. So we begin to follow Christ personally within the context of a community or a family that then is called to spend itself or to invest itself in a community on behalf of God's mission to the world. This is the picture in Scripture. You'd be hard-pressed to argue it differently unless you just want to ignore a whole bunch of Scripture, which a lot of people love to do. And at that point, I begin to wonder, are you Christian? Are you actually Christian? Are you just sitting on the fence pretending? Because this is the problem that Peter had. He ignored what Jesus said to him. He ignored it over and over and over again. Jesus warned him and warned him and warned him. And called him and called him and called him. And instructed and instructed and shepherded and shepherded and encouraged and encouraged. And Peter ignored, ignored, ignored. And then wound up denying Christ three different ways. He denied him personally, denied him communally. And then he denied him missionally. It's exactly what Luke describes for us. Look at verses 56 through 60. Three different people confront Peter in this passage. Three different people. And each time that he's confronted, he follows this natural progression of sin that denies Christ. First personally, second communally, and third missionally. <clears throat> Notice the specific phrases that Peter uses. Notice this natural movement. There's a young woman 
comes to Jesus. Just a young servant girl. Not somebody who should be all that threatening, right? Right? Not somebody who should be all that threatening to Peter, but to that woman who confronts Peter for being with Jesus. He says this, Woman, I do not know him. He denies his personal relationship with Jesus. I do not know him. And then to the second person that confronts him for being one of the disciples, Peter says, man, I am not one of them. Go back to the original Greek, do the best you can. I am not part of them. I am not one of them. I do not belong to them. This is, this is Peter denying his part and place in the community of Christ, in the family of Christ, in relationship with a local community of believers. Denies that. Not part of that. And then to the third person that confronts him for being with Jesus because he was Galilean, if you look at the text, which simply means he looked or sounded like somebody that followed Christ. Simple enough? Get that? Do you get that? Nod your heads or shake your heads. If you don't, I can keep going. Okay? Alright. I know you guys are just caught up in the moment. You're not really sleeping. I'm not pissing you off. I get it. Right? He's Galilean. He looked and sounded like somebody who followed Christ. You know what that's like, right? I know what i got to look like this morning to go to church. got to get my vest on and my sweet little tie. got to get the button in the right place. got to say, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? got to smile and be like, I'm doing great. Heaven forbid if we're not doing great, right? Got to get my lingo going. I'm blessed and highly favored this morning. Got to bounce the eyes. Bounce the eyes. <laughs> we have our own Christian language and Christian lingo that we speak. Man, God has been great to me this week, hasn't he? How's he been to you? Start shaking your head because if you shake your head, it's more Holy Spirit filled when you're saying it. Like, like might even put your hand there. Praise Jesus, right? Peter sounded and looked like somebody who followed Christ. We find it so easy to lead with our externals. Listen, we find it so easy to project and lead with our externals when the reality is that deep down inside our hearts and souls, we are an absolute wreck. That's the place Peter was in and he didn't realize it. And when somebody came to him and was like, hey, you look like one of those Jesus followers. No, man, no, man, not me. Nope, not me. Such a wreck deep down inside that what flowed out of that was his denial of an opportunity to share Christ with someone who was opposed to Christ. This is where Peter was at. I don't even know what you're talking about, right? He denies the opportunity to engage the mission of God or to share Christ with God's enemies so that they could then have the opportunity to become part of the family. This is the progressive wheel or pattern of denial that moves us from denying Christ A, personally, B, communally, and then C, missionally. Where are you at on this wheel? Where are you at this morning on this wheel denying Christ? You think your looks and your language are going to Gets you where you need to go? 
while deep down inside your soul and your heart is rotting away because you haven't actually encountered the loving gaze of Christ, the loving look of Christ over your life despite the mess and despite the hurt and despite the pain? Have you been denying Christ in your thoughts, denying Him in your words, denying Him in your actions? When the opportunity arises and bubbles up for you to proclaim Christ in your personal relationships, you wind up shrinking back in fear, or are you boldly proclaiming His work in you? So you cannot proclaim a work that is not happening. You cannot proclaim a work that is not happening. This is the difference between Peter and Judas. There was no work of transformation taking place in Judas. This is why Judas went and hung himself from a tree. He had betrayed Christ, his close friend. He betrayed Christ, the one who loved him completely. He had betrayed Christ, the one who was giving himself for him. Yet Peter, on the other hand, Peter denied Christ. Denied him. It's a bit of a difference in the story here, right? Are you seizing every moment that you have to proclaim Christ in thought, word, deed, throughout the community that you are placed among? Are you taking opportunities to pray with people? When was the last time, if you're here and you claim to be Christian, when was the last time you stopped and prayed with a co-worker? You might say, well, I'm afraid to do that. I pray for them in my own quiet space. Why wouldn't you pray for them in person? Well, why wouldn't you live in such a way that maybe their eternal destination rests on your Asking the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to slay that giant and get up there and pray for someone. Why would you want to fall asleep in those moments when you have that opportunity? Fathers and mothers, how often are you praying with your children throughout the week? Well, that's scary, right? Children might reject you. Your children might oppose you, as we read earlier. It is a parent's responsibility it's a commandment of the Lord to love our children in that we teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord, correct? Are you taking those opportunities, parents, friends? Are you taking the opportunity to speak truth to one another? To pray with one another? Have you taken the time to listen to a hurting friend or extend like a helping hand to someone in need? And these are all practical ways of resisting the temptation to deny Christ. <clears throat> the progression of sin that we all struggle with naturally moves us from denying Christ personally to denying Christ communally to denying Christ missionally. Where are you at on this wheel? Number three. Number three, we want to look at the evidence of godly repentance for a few minutes and then get us out of here. Verses 60 through 62. There's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly repentance. I feel like I've touched on this quite a bit this morning. I hope you can hang with me. Now, worldly sorrow is someone feeling depressed because they got caught doing something wrong or feeling bad for the consequences of their sin. Oh, crap, I got caught stealing the cookie out of the cookie jar. I got grounded for a week. That feels terrible. That is a, uh, that's a worldly sorrow. <coughs> the evidence of godly repentance, on the other hand, begins with the understanding 
that God notices you even in the midst of your sin and then, and then remembering that God has actually spoken His Word to you. The understanding that God sees you and has spoken to you is meant to produce a broken spirit and bold obedience. The problem with many who claim to be Christian today, who claim to be in the inner circle of Jesus, is a lack of bold obedience and an excuse making for the disobedience that is rampantly obvious in our lives. God has spoken His word to you. This was Peter's experience after he denied Christ three times. Luke explains that immediately, immediately while he was still speaking, in the moment as Peter was denying Christ the third time, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine how startling that moment would be? It's the moment after a brother or a sister sits with you and says, I'm warning you, you should not walk down that road. That road will lead to destruction. I'm warning you. It's that moment deep down inside of your heart and soul where you resist that and then suddenly, bingo, the light goes off. Crap, I should have listened. Right? When the very thing that you thought could never happen because you believed you were safe playing with fire. You get burned. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord, who was sitting there, turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine what that look must have felt like? You think about this look for a minute. What would that look feel like? Jesus has warned you. You're sitting there in the person with him. In the moment when you do exactly what he said he would do, even though you fell asleep and gave in the temptation, even though you started playing with fire, thinking that you would be okay, even though you turn your heel against him, he's sitting there and he looks at you. What does that look feel like? And what do you think his look says to you? It's condemnation, maybe? How oh, you messed up again. Is that, is that what you feel? And do you really believe that that's the look that Jesus was giving Peter? Listen to me. If you think that's the look that Jesus was giving to Peter, you're mistaken. I think the look that Jesus was giving to Peter was an I love you look. I knew this was going to happen. I warned you. I told you call light to that in this moment but I love you how do, how do you well, why do I say that why do I why do I know that go back to what Jesus said to Peter in the upper room when they were all arguing over who would deny Christ oh it's not going to be me it's probably going to be you or you could never be me Jesus responds is, hey Peter Satan came to destroy you. I told him, no. I prayed that your faith would not be destroyed. And that you would turn again. Repent is the word. Turn again to strengthen your brothers. Read the rest of the Gospels. 
Go home, open up your Bible. Read the book of Acts. Read the letters from Peter to the churches. You'll see a man whose life was up and down and back and forth. But you'll see a man who came out the other side of that, strong in the Lord. And living in bold obedience to the Lord. It's the proof of godly repentance in someone's life. Does your sin cause you to fall into despair and self-loathing? Does it cause you to weep bitterly? Does it cause you to be like Judas, contemplate suicide? Does it cause you to be like Peter? And weep bitterly and remember the words that Jesus has spoken. If you're here and you've been living at a distance from Him, been living your life in a way that denies Him, been living your life that doesn't have the evidence of godly repentance in it, this is your opportunity to trust in Him and to walk forward never looking back. I'll close this way. Watched a movie this week. Watched a movie this week called um, I'm Not Ashamed. It's about the Columbine school shooting, 1999, April 20th, 1999. The young girl by the name of Rachel Joyce Scott. They took her words from her journals, her diaries, her pain. Her dad had left when she was young. She lived a life full of pain and brokenness and hurt. Her deepest desire was to be accepted by others around her. She gave herself up to many things that were destructive and harmful in her life. And she continued to kept, keep following this cycle of giving herself over to, to unhealthy relationships where men would use her. Um... And then she would come back and follow Christ and claim Him, proclaim Him boldly. This cycle was over and over and over again for her until a few weeks before the Columbine shooting, something happened. And in the final scenes of the movie, she's sitting on the front yard in front of the school. She's sitting down with a young boy and talking to him about his life. And you can see how she is proclaiming Christ to this young man. And in the rear view, over her shoulder, you can see these boys in their trench coats walking up to the school with their guns. She was number one on their list because she had claimed Christ so boldly. You know what happens to Peter? You want to know what happens to Peter? He doesn't die having a bunch of friends. He doesn't die getting the sweet, hot chick. He doesn't die having all the things in the world that he always wanted. He dies upside down horribly because he proclaimed Christ boldly and loudly. What are you doing? This girl in this movie, Rachel Joyce Scott, one of the final moments of the movie is her getting blown away in front of our eyes because they asked her, do you claim Christ or do you not? And she goes, you know that I do. They put the gun against her temple and they pulled the trigger and that's the end of the movie. What will the end of your life look like? Be distant from God, denying Christ, or walking in repentance. Let me pray. Our music team comes forward. Father, thank you.
Thank you for the blessing of this passage. Pray, Lord God, that you would use it in our hearts, our minds, and our souls this week. Pray, God, that you would use it to cause some to get off the fence, to begin following you. Quit making excuses for their sin. Quit blaming on other people. And to hear from you who loves us so deeply that you gave your son. Pray, God, that you would close that gap by the power of the gospel. Pray, God, that you would cause that change by the power of the gospel. Pray, God, that you would change us from being people who deny you with our thoughts, words, and actions and pursuit of our desires into people who love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. As we close, we, as we close, we close in uh, communion and worship and prayer. Communion is for believers. It's for believers. Not for those of you who claim Christ but don't actually believe. Okay? It's for believers. You need to have trusted in Christ's work at the cross, His broken body, His shed blood. You might need to spend a few moments thinking about that before you partake because you partake in communion without actually believing it. You drink judgment upon yourself and my heart is that that doesn't happen to anyone. So you may be here, you may not be a believer. You may have thought you were when you walked in. You may have realized you're not. You may need to surrender your life to God, repent of your sin. You may need to confess that sin and ask Him to save you. You may need to have that sense of peace whereby you know Christ has you in the palm of his hand. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you do need to be a believer. If you're not a believer, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like, you became a believer just now, then you can partake. His body was broken for you horribly. His blood was poured out, every drop of his precious blood that washes us whiter than snow. That blood was poured out for you and I. So the invitation to you, to all of us, is to remember that message of the cross as we come and partake in communion. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. Let's stand together. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.